Welcome okay. to episode number... Ah, you're not ready? Wait, what? No. Oh, I'm ready. I just didn't expect you to jump right into it. So. Oh, no, that's what I do. Well, there you go. I'm a foot-first kind of guy. Jumping in, not looking below the place where I'm jumping from. Well, let's put a not-safe-for-work tag on this B-roll. <laughs> <laughs> We're never safe for work. We talk about magical comments. That's true. Welcome to episode number 70 of The Memory Jar. As always, we are here to remember the cards, the decks, the people, and the stories that make magic the game we love. I'm David Prestwood, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Christian Wright. Christian, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm preparing for, you know, crunchy leaves, pumpkins, man staring into middle distance with his breath frosting. You know, autumn. So how, how do you prepare for autumn, exactly? Well, right now, it's Halloween candy. Thank goodness to start selling in August and what we do in the shadows. It really gets you in that spooky mood. But what about you? How are you? Uh, Reese's pumpkins. That's it. That's the tweet. Seasonal Reese's best Reese's Reese's best candy. What more can I say? I can't eat Reese's stuff. I'm so sad. I'm so jealous. I'm I'm sorry. And more for me. There you go. Well, speaking of spookiness and food intolerances, I believe the air is chill. No, it's not chilly yet still summer out in both of our necks of the woods. But that doesn't matter because magic waits for no weather. We have a new fall set. We have magic second return to the gothic, cosmic, and now folk horror of Innistrad. And as usual, we'll talk about the fun facts of the set and signature reprints, tongue twisters, the whole jam. But this time it's a little bit spookier than usual. At least we think that. But before we do that, like we always do, let's crack open the memory jar. This week's random card is extremely scary. It is Lovestruck Beast. <laughs> Lovestruck Beast is a rare from Throne of Eldraine. It's two and a green for a 5-5 Beast Noble. And it can't attack unless you control a 1-1 creature. But it also has an adventure tacked onto it. You can pay green for a sorcery called Heart's Desire and create a 1-1 white human creature token. So uh, good riddance. See you in hell, Lovestruck Beast. Yes. Get out of here. Awful. Just made... Just miserable standard because of it. Ugh. The adventure cards were very powerful. I mean, Bone Crusher Giant and its spell Stump were the biggest defender, but playing a 5 5 on turn three also just played a role in making a bunch of other decks irrelevant. Like, there were a lot of things you couldn't play because this would just sit there and play. It didn't say it couldn't attack or block if you didn't have a 1 1. It just said attack. So it could just sit there as a 5 5. Yeah, it was not fun. The joke for a little bit was. They nerfed cards that were one twos because otherwise you could play them with Lovestruck Beast. And unfortunately, that was probably true. You know, if you had asked me the name of the sorcery on Lovestruck Beast that made a one one, I would not have been able to tell you Heart's Desire. Do we know the names of the other ones that saw play? Well, we know. We just said Bone Crusher Giant was Stomp. Yeah, that's that's the common. Yeah. Brazen Borrower was Petty Theft, if I remember correctly. That is correct. I remember that Beanstalk Giant is Fertile Footsteps. Mm. Uh, Fay of Wishes, like granted wish or something? Question mark. Who's granted? That sounds granted. Right. Yeah. My favorite was Curious Pair, the Hansel and Gretel card, and the adventure that made a food token was Treats to Share. Treats mm. to Share and Curious Pair. That was very cute. That is very cute. I what mean, like Giant Killer. Giant Killer got a lot of play. Who cares? <laughs> or Grimrock Knight, or like even Merfolk Secret Keeper. I'm just gonna let people look these up. I don't remember them, so. You know, no. feel free. 
Because what you would, whenever you cast them, you would just say like, "I'm going to cast the adventure on Merfolk's Secret Keeper." And yes, unless you were covering a magic tournament, no one ever actually said the name of the adventure. Yeah, it was jarring yeah. to hear them said for sure. Yes. Oh yeah. Like it would also be weird because I'd be like, "What card is that? I've never heard of Petty th- Theft." And I was like, "Oh wait, no, 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 that's Brazen Borrower." Do you think we're going to get adventures ever again? Maybe. It was a cool mechanic. It was pretty unique to the set, the adventure thing in the fairy tale set. I saw that you wrote in the show notes adventure was like a pre-kicker yeah. more than a split card. And I thought that was a really cool way to explain it. You get a lot of value. And I know that I would have to go back and listen to the episode, but when we previewed the set, we thought it was really cool that it gave you this option and there was a tension between do I just want to play the creature or do I want to play the other thing and then the creature and you know, it would vary by creature. I thought they were super cool and limited. And like a way to do, yeah, pre-kicker or pre-flashback. Right. Yeah, after having two years of them, I actually don't... I think the original set they had wasn't very balanced. Because it turns out, when you staple a spell to a creature that you don't have to cast immediately, and it's not really interactable, it's really good. Yeah, a lot of times when they do this, they overcost one of the halves, and they just didn't do it here. No. Like, if Stomp on Bone Crusher Giant had also been three mana, like Bone Crusher Giant, it would have been much more reasonable. Like, it was too easy to curve into stuff. Like, Raisin Barber, Bone Crusher Giant had that problem. Lovestruck Beast was two creatures for four mana. That with it's six total power and six total toughness between the two. That didn't seem fair. I think if we're going to see them again, it's they're going to be really tuned down. Like, either you're going to get a really good spell or a really good creature, but you're not going to get both because it's just... Hmm. I think it's just too much, you know? It's kind of like if they ever did Companion again, which they're not, but if they ever did, the cost for the Companions, the CMC would start at something like six and then scale up from there. I really like the visual design. I know we talked about that at the time, the kind of open book. And despite the fact that it was structured where the entire adventure spell was in the text box of the card, they were pretty easy to read and understand, which was... Kind of a feat, honestly. Yeah, they did a really good job. I I mean, I think if food wasn't so broken, we would hear more about how ridiculous these adventure cards were, but food was absolutely broken. And so I think that helped. People remember adventure more fondly, even though it kind of strangled standard because they banned all the good food cards. So I don't know. We'll see. There's a lot broken in Throne of Eldraine, and the fact that adventure cards were like, the fourth most broken thing in that set says a lot. <laughs> well, that's probably enough to about Lovestruck Beast and these adventure cards. We now don't have to talk about them in standard. We have had a rotation. We have four sets in standard. We're about to get fifth when Crimson Vow comes out. It's very exciting. New decks for everybody. So let's talk about this new set, Innistrad Midnight Hunt. We're very excited to go back to Innistrad here. This is the second return to it. So we started... The original Innistrad came out 10 years ago, which makes me feel very old, like incredibly old. I'm, I can vividly remember drafting original Innistrad. Uh, we went back to Innistrad the first time in 2016 with Shadows over Innistrad. Shadows over Innistrad had a second companion, second expansion set, which was Eldritch Moon, which was a different take on Innistrad. And now we're back. We're kind of back to the old traditional Innistrad, sort of. Like if the first one was just regular Gothic horror, and the second one is cosmic horror. This one's more folk horror, like something out of like Midsummer, or what's that one with the big 
pyre and they put someone in the pyre and they burn the pyre and it's English. You're thinking of Wicker Man, my friend. Yeah, Wicker Man style folk horror is definitely present in this set with all of the witches and we'll talk, I assume, about Flesh Taker at some point. But it's it's a nice expansion. There's still a lot of gothic horror in this set, but that's quite a change from the kind of cosmic horror and body horror of the previous Innistrad block. I don't know what their internal data was. For me, it the Shadows Over Innistrad and um, Eldritch Moon were not my favorite takes on it. It was terrifying, but I really preferred that traditional gothic horror. And so it's good that we kind of are veering closer to that with uh, Innistrad Midnight Vow. And I guess Minist- uh, Midnight Hunt, I should say. Sorry, because Midnight Vow is the next one. Crimson Vow is the next one. Crimson Vow is the next one. Look, these names <laughs> are too complicated. I, I give up. So what can you tell us about the story? I mean... The headline for me is there's no noodle monster that is readily apparent. We'll see what happens in the next set. Uh, I do know that there are some things happening with the moon, which kind of freaks me out because last we saw Emrakul, she was trapped inside the moon. Right. Because she's trapped inside the moon, the nights have gotten longer because apparently seasons don't exist on Innistrad. So like they had a consistent length of time for day and night, but that's gone out the window. Instead of just saying, hey, maybe it's colder. Maybe we have seasons. They think there's something wrong with the moon. So there's some witches that want to restore the balance of day and night. And there's this big artifact called the Celestis that should do that. But, you know, if you're going to do it, you need to find a key. So we have four planeswalkers trying to find this key. we got Arlen Cord, Teferi, we got Chandra Nalar, and we have Kaya. We're all trying to find this key to unlock this artifact, to restore order, and balance to Innistrad, and I'm sure nothing will go wrong whatsoever. No, everything's fine. So we do have a Teferi and Arlen Cord in this set. I think that can probably confirms a Kaya and a Chandra in Crimson Vow. I guess we'll have to see if they're present in the story, but there are no cards for them. Um, what are they facing as they're doing this? So do they just like have the key and they're going to turn it? Or Yeah, so there's a big bad. His name is Tovalar. He's a very mean werewolf leader. Arlen Cord knew him. He turned Arlen Cord into a werewolf, as the story hints. Mm. He's a big pack leader, and he wants to destroy this artifact that might bring balance to Innistrad because, you know, he's a werewolf. He loves longer nights. Like, he eats vampires, and he eats humans, and he just wants to eat everything. I don't know. He's a hungry guy. I guess you have the moon out at all times. That seems uh, pretty good for you. So, yeah. Do we have an update on characters from previous Innistrad? I know that we have no more Avacyn. She's gone. No. But I know there are a bunch of legendary creatures and references to folks in this set that we will, our listeners will know. Sigard is back, which is fun. In Crimson Vow, we'll see a new Olivia, is my guess. We found out Soren ate his way out of a rock, which is hilarious <laughs> and sad. He's just the saddest emo planeswalker. It's fantastic. He also is on the card Unexpected Absence. Okay, um, so maybe we'll get a thorn in the next is, set as well. Maybe I don't know. We have some highlights of Gissa has a new legend here. We have Ludovic; he has another legend in this set. He has a very sad end. Well, ironic sad. Mm-hmm. And you know, we get we, there's some new characters too. They always add a little bit more to each of these sets, kind of fill out the the world and the story, which is good because I think of all the planes they return to. It seems like Innistrad has the deepest well of like stuff that they can add to it, and it doesn't feel like they're kind of stretching thin. Unlike maybe a Zendikar, where you're like, I don't know what else you can pull out of Zendikar, but they keep trying. 
on the Ludovic front, I did not read the back of his card as that being Ludovic. I think that he is the Dr. Frankenstein to the Frankenstein's monster that is Olag Ludovic's hubris. I think he just made something horrible. So if you look in the bigger art, that is his face and his hair. I'm pretty sure. Mm. I suppose we will find out in a story beat at some point. Hopefully. As you know, we are not a Borthos podcast. We, uh, we're all guessing. <laughs> Anything else that we do need to know about the story? It's not finished yet. So uh, we've given you kind of a summary of the current magic story. It's actually very good. I recommend you read it. Finally good again. I don't know if you agree with me, but I'll say for the record, the best magic story they've ever done was when Imrakul got into the moon for Eldritch Moon. Probably one of the best magic stories they've ever done. The the story last time around was excellent, I will agree. All right, well, why don't we talk a little bit about the nitty-gritty and let's talk about mechanics. I think we obviously have to start by talking about Flashback is back. I know this is one of your personal favorites. Yeah, so it originally came out in Odyssey. It was a different way to, to graveyard stuff. And whenever they have a graveyard set, they just kind of bring back Flashback. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, pretty sweet. You just get to cast the same spell from your graveyard or sometimes a slightly altered spell for what is usually a bigger cost. And uh, then you exile it when you're done. So pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, curses are back. We have a lot of curses in Innistrad. Yeah. Enchantments that enchant a player and do something negative to them. Investigate is back. I was wondering without the Emrakul story if we were going to have Investigate, but we are creating a few clues in this set. I like that they kept it because it implies that this plane is so weird that there's always just detectives, that they're always just going to be investigating the weird stuff. Like who murdered this person? Was it a vampire? Was it a werewolf? Was it an eldritch horror being that wasn't summoned away by Emrakul? We don't know. We got to investigate. Love it. That's right. The number 13 is back. We have three new cards that care about the number 13. Jaren, Corrupted Bishop, cares about you having 13 life. Olivia's Midnight Ambush can give a creature minus 13, minus 13. And Triska Decophile can win you the game if you have 13 cards in your hand. There are 21 total cards in Magic that care about the number 13 in some way, with it either in the text or the power of toughness. Christian, can you name any of the cards that are not from the Plane of Innistrad? So I might have cheated <gasps> because I clicked on your link. Oh, no. Well, we can just tell our listeners. Uh, we'll start with one I was surprised about. I forgot Cross and Cloud Shaper was a 1313. That's right. Originally from Legions, I believe. There's yes. Death Shadow from World Wake, obviously one of the most famous, very modern playable at times. And the last one is Archive Trap, which uh, I forgot about because I just hate that card being cast against me. So, you know, I just kind of tune it out of my life. That uh, mills 13 cards yep. from the top of your life. Well, I actually have two more for you, Christian. There's Ooh. Shivan Meteor from Planar Chaos, which deals 13 damage to a creature. And of course, oh, I forgot about that one. Tragic Fall, the tragic slip reference from Modern Horizons 2, which clearly takes place on Innistrad, even though it is a planeless set. So kind of cheating, but relevant. I don't know about that one. Okay, fair enough. But the most references to the number 13, though, have been across all the Innistrads. Absolutely. So It is a feature. Let's talk a little bit about Disturb. Cool new mechanic. Creatures with Disturb are in white and blue. When they die, you can pay their disturb cost to cast them from your graveyard transformed, and they are a different creature on the backside, a spirit creature, because the creature has died, and you've cast it from your graveyard. They all have the feature that if they would die, then you exile it. So it really is flashback for creatures. Yeah, and it's interesting that it they tried this before with Unearth, but Unearth only worked for a turn, and then you exiled it. And then Escape was permanent and uh, another broken mechanic from 2019-2020 Magic, which is neither here nor there. But I I like Disturb. I'm surprised it took them this long to get to it. 
because it should have, I, I'm surprised it wasn't in Shadows Over Innistrad or Eldritch Moon. It's a nice combination of the kind of flashback of creature thing with the double face card, because you can do a different creature on the side, you can do a different cost than the original cost very easily. It's been a cool mechanic so far, although it really slows down games in my very limited yes. limited experience thus far. I could see it. I, I have not played a game yet. I plan on playing a game of Innistrad Midnight Hunt Limited here shortly. Okay. But um, from what I've read, you know, it is a lot of information too, because you have to remember which creatures you can disturb and which you can't, and you have to, you know, it's based on flashback too. It's information. If you don't have it in your head, you will lose track of it easily. Yes. And there's a lot of times in games where you just look down and you're like, oh, I could have flashed that back two turns ago. Yeah. And I just completely forgot. Do you want to tell us about Coven? So it is a interesting uh, ability word that is tied around. If you control three or more creatures, different powers, something happens. Uh, in the example that Wizards posted, Candlelit Cavalry, if it's a 5-5 five, five for four and a green, it's a human knight. But if you control three or more creatures with different powers of the in combat, Candlelit Cavalry gains trample until end of turn. So, it, you know. Gives you a bonus if you have a different variety board, varied board. And different powers just means the power of the creature. When I first saw that, I was like, oh, are they using this to refer to, like, if you have a creature with flying and a creature with vigilance and a creature with lifelink or something? And then I was like, oh, they probably actually just mean the power on the card. And that is indeed what it is. This mechanic to me seems a little underwhelming, but I'll be very curious to see how it plays out. Well, then, of course, the headliner for the set is the day-night mechanic which is dealing with werewolves and some other things where it's a play on the old werewolf mechanic. Basically, it is neither day or night until a player plays a card that either has day bound, like the werewolves do, or says if it's neither day or night, it becomes day. And then if a player casts no spells during their turn, it becomes night. So one of the differences between the old werewolf mechanic is this doesn't care about what your opponent does. If you're the active player, your casting zero spells will turn it into night, even if your opponent is casting instants on your turn all over the place. And then if it is night, and a player casts at least two spells during their active turn, then it becomes day the next turn. This will flip all of the werewolves because they are all daybound on one side and nightbound on the other. If it is night and you play a card that is daybound and nightbound, it enters on the nightbound side, which is pretty interesting. I like that it is universal between players. I like that it is a little easier to track because it only cares about the active player. I think that the double-sided token that they have given us is a little bit challenging. I want a big, like how they did the large dungeons in the bundles in the last set. I want a big day-night thing on the table because it's just going to be a pain to keep track of. Especially if all of the creatures that care about it die, you still have to keep track of it for the rest of the game. I don't like how they changed this. Hmm. I get why they changed it. I don't like it. The fact that it doesn't work exactly with previous werewolves and they refused to errata the previous werewolves or just kept the old werewolf trigger with it is what kind of makes me frustrated. Like you now have something that was the highlight of one of the best sets of all of magic history and they put a tweak on it. Other than the fact that you can have stuff come in flipped I don't think it justifies the change. But I'm also a magic boomer, and I drafted a lot of Innistrad, so I'm very biased on this. Rub me the wrong way. It's interesting to hear you be the crusty old man on this one, since I'm both crustier and older than you. I actually really like this change, and I do wish they would errata the old werewolves. It's just so much cleaner and so much easier to track. Yeah. I think the fact that they 
have put the token and everything like a monarch token or a city's blessing token is really helpful. Um, I think it has played out really interestingly so far and it's just another thing to track, but I want to track all of the things in a game of magic. And so in my uh, both arena and pre-release experience, I have found it pretty enjoyable thus far. So I guess we'll see where it comes down, but I agree. I wish it was uniform with the old werewolves one way or the other. Yes. Yeah. I think it wasn't, you weren't losing that much just to, just to errata it, honestly, but I don't work for wizards, so literally my opinion doesn't matter whatsoever. Now, now, Christian, your opinion matters. You don't have to work for the mothership to have an opinion. Well, here's an opinion I think you and I can agree on. Tribal's back. Yeah! So it's it's humans versus zombies, vampires, spirits, and werewolves. A couple of devils here and there. I guess the spirits are actually kind of on the human side. They're like the former humans. And they're in white, where humans are, and blue, where... I guess you have the blue zombies. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's outside of, I remember correctly, Geist of St. Traff. It, it wasn't trapped. I mean, it wasn't explicit that the spirits were on the human side. But I'm glad that's now, they all had some stuff happen with Imrakul, and now they're like, we like the humans. Ghosts, ghosts and humans were like, we're buds. You sure. Know? I think one of my favorite flavor things in the set is the difference between blue zombies and black zombies that black zombies are yes. raised from the dead and blue zombies are, to use the word that magic uses, stitched together by mad scientists. I think that's just a wonderful distinction in a way to differentiate them between the two colors. And that has been consistent since uh, original Innistrad. So I'm glad they've kept that throughout Innistrad history. Well, I feel like this is true through the other colors as well. So humans are white and green and the white ones are the townsfolk and the green ones are those that are kind of living out in nature and some of the, the witches the vampires are black or red and the black ones seem to be the kind of more refined vampires and the red ones are the wild ones who are just slashing everyone's throats. Werewolves are the same way. The red ones are kind of like the townsfolk who turn into werewolves and the green ones are like out in nature and maybe more in touch with the wolf side. It's just interesting how they kind of set all of these distinctions together, but they come together into these nice color pair matches. It's a very well thought out top-down flavor. It really helps make the set sing, and it also means that people can fill in the edges about the set, which is, I think, something that is lacking in certain sets they've released recently. Sure. Like, I can imagine an infinite amount of adventures in Innistrad because it's a living, it, it comes off as a more living, breathing world where you have all these dichotomies, but stuff happens. Whereas, I'm not going to name other sets, but it seems a lot more limited. Like, you don't, okay, I'll say one. I don't get that with like Kaldheim. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it was just how they botched Kaldheim, but I don't get a sense of the world of how the world of Kaldheim operates outside every time we visit it. Right. Whereas that's never been the case with Innistrad. Kaldheim definitely needed two or three sets to tell the story and to give us the flavor. And the one set did not do it justice. I think we've, we've yes. spoken about that before. Yes. Well, as we were talking about some old sets, let's talk about some older cards and talk about the signature reprints in this set. There are quite a few. There are 18 reprints, plus the basic lands, which is a big change after only four in AFR. And leading that highlight list is Unruly Mob. Unruly Mob is one and a white for a 1-1 human, and whenever another creature you control dies, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. What I love is this has been in the first set of the other Innistrad blocks, in Innistrad and then Shadows over Innistrad, and it's back again here. Same art. Yeah, same art. I don't remember... 
how good it was in Shadows. I know it was a cornerstone white-green card in Innistrad, and it seems to be back to being a cornerstone white-black card for Midnight Hunt Limited. Another highlight is a card I didn't think they'd reprint, Delver of Secrets. So Delver of Secrets is one blue for a 1-1 human wizard. At the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You may reveal that card. If an instant or sorcery card is revealed this way, transform Delver of Secrets. <laughs> what do we transform into? Just a horrible human-fly hybrid. It's a 3-2 flying insect, human insect. And uh, this one is not as terrifying as the original Delver of Secrets. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at the art for this one, this seems like more like um, the character. It's like the moth guy in The Tick. Looks more <laughs> like him Arthur. than it does. Arthur. Yeah, it looks more like him than it does just a terrifying Jeff Goldblum human fly hybrid that haunts my dreams. Yeah, uh, that's definitely true. I guess the big question is, is this going to be anything in standard? And I say standard specifically because the other arena format historic already has better Delver in Dragon's Rage Channeler. So I could see it maybe being indexed with that, but like standard, it seems like a reasonable possibility. Here's the question for you. Does Ponder exist? No. Does Preordain exist? No. What about Snapcaster Mage? No. Okay. That's my hot take. Okay. Delver is not going to be the same deck it was back in, in Estrad, Scars, and Mirror. I think that's definitely true. I guess we'll have to see, and maybe Crimson Vow will give us some more tools. Yeah, there's Consider. That is basically Surveil 1 and draw a card. And it might be good with that. I just know, like, having played Delver in Standard previously, it was good because of broken cantrips, and not necessarily because Delver itself was broken. But Delver, Delver is a good creature. It's just a lot harder when you don't have all the cool card manipulation sure. to always turn it into a 3-2. Well, let's talk about a fun one. Immolation is reprinted in this set. And you say, Immolation? I don't know that card. Where is that from? Well, that's from Legends. It was first printed in 1994. It's an enchantment for a single red mana, and it says Enchanted Creature gets plus two, minus two. This hasn't had a real reprint since 4th edition? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's been a while. I'm pretty sure I played it on Chandelar, but I might be confusing it with Bloodlust, because like when I was a kid, they kind of almost sort of did the same thing but this is you know like this is a different way for red removal and i like getting an old throwback reprint that's fantastic bloodlust was a nice one bloodlust was one in a red for an instant and the creature gets plus four or minus four until end of turn but their toughness can't go below one i used to play that with rook eggs a lot it was a pretty nice way to get value yes. out of your rook egg like kill their thing kill your rook egg make the flying rook anyway immolation um it's kind of weird to see Plus two, minus two is traditionally a red ability, but it's a little odd because we just got Lash of Malice in Strixhaven that was an instant plus two, minus two in black. Black and blue have both done it before, but it's nice to see red kind of getting back to, yeah, we're going all in. Yes, power, no toughness. Yeah, and I mean, it's like a quasi-shock. Like, that's, you know, it's it's that level up moment where, like, you realize, oh, minus two, it can kill a thing. And then you're like, oh, that's, this does stuff. No, I was going to say, and if Delirium's a thing, which it is with previous mm-hmm. Innistrad sets, this helps it enable Delirium well. So Yeah, getting an enchantment into your graveyard isn't the worst thing. I think it's mostly going to be used to kill creatures, but occasionally you're going to have a 3-3 flyer and be like, what if I had a 5-1 flyer and could just kill my opponent? Seems pretty good. Hell yeah. So the next one's a cool one. This is a reprint from Eldritch Moon. I actually really like this card when it was printed. It's Thermal Alchemist. It's one red for a 0-3 human shaman. It has Defender. You can tap it to deal one to each opponent, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you can untap Thermo Alchemist. Uh, this is a great card. Just does a lot of great stuff. Yeah, phenomenal. Wisely upshifted to uncommon in this set. 
especially because there's a bloodthirst theme in black and red where cards care about your opponent having lost life this turn and the decks in Eldritch Moon that just had three Thermo Alchemists and enough instants and sorceries to keep untapping them were highly obnoxious. I played this in a red-blue spells deck as a standard deck. That's how good this card was. Mm-hmm. There was a card called Fevered Visions, which is one red and a blue, and it helped you draw extra cards and for each player, but it hurt your opponent if they had too many cards in their hand. And it was it was a budget deck, but it was a fun budget deck that just could get people from 20 to zero pretty quickly. Yeah. I see a lot of Thermal Alchemists on Arena in the historic queues when I reset to the lower levels. Our next one is Return to Nature. I don't need to say too much about this. It's one in a green for an instant. It choose one, destroy target artifact, enchantment, or you exile a target card from a graveyard. This is officially the new Colossal Dreadmaw. It is its fifth main set printing in the last 28 months. So everyone, update your Colossal Dreadmaw jokes. Please to Return to Nature. That is all. That's it. I wanted to highlight this one because I'm surprised to see it as a reprint. It's Vivisection. This was originally printed in Mirrodin Besiege. It's three and a blue for a sorcery. As initial cost to cast Vivisection, you sacrifice a creature and you draw three cards. Um, I was just surprised by it because in Mirrodin Besiege, it made sense because the Phyrexians were Vivisecting, you know, humans. Whoever's around, Mirrodins. you know. Yeah. And it was definitely a lot more brutal. Like that art was oh, pretty dark. So, I, I mean, it makes sense for Innistrad. It's just not what I was expecting. Yeah. Pretty cool card with all these two, two decayed zombie tokens running around. We'll talk about those in a little bit. So let's go into the forced obsolescence section. We're going to talk about the cards that are now obsolete, completely replaced by a new card. Again, this isn't about which cards are better than other cards, because cards are better than other cards all the time. It's about which cards make older cards completely obsolete. The old card is completely replaced. So it needs to be the same color the same cost or cheaper, and have the same or a better effect. And we're also not going to talk about corner cases related to creature type or like taking presumably negative effects like losing life into a positive. That's too corner casey. We're literally, these are just cards that are just purely better than previous cards and you have no reason to play those old ones. For example, Wild Slash made Shock obsolete because it had an additional ferocious trigger that did more stuff. Colossal Dreadmaw means Crawworm is obsolete. Our famous example is Cathartic Reunion doesn't make Tormenting Voice obsolete since they require different resources, and that actually does come up a lot. Right. Cathartic Reunion draws you three cards instead of two, but you have to discard two. It might be better in the decks that really want it, but it's not completely obsolete. We're also only talking about cards that are newly making an old card obsolete. So you mentioned the Shock example. Play with Fire in this set is a red instant that deals two damage to a target, and if a player is dealt damage this way, scry one. That's definitely better than Shock. It has more utility, but Shock itself is already obsolete, so we don't need to mention it here. We're only talking about cards that are are now obsolete. So why don't we kick it off? I will start with Baneblade Scoundrel. This is three and a black for a 4-3 human rogue werewolf. That is quite a type line. It says whenever Baneblade Scoundrel becomes blocked, each creature blocking it gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. That's the daybound side. It transforms into Baneclaw Marauder, which is a 5-4 with the same ability when it's blocked, each creature blocking gets to minus one, minus one until end of turn, and also has whenever creature blocking Bane Marauder dies, that creature's controller loses one life, and it's Nightbound. That is a lot of words to talk about this card, but it obsolete's a card called Shadow Rider from Weatherlight, way back from Weatherlight, which is two black black for a 3-3 three, three knight that has flanking. And flanking, which you probably don't remember, is whenever a creature without flanking blocks this creature, the blocking creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. So Baneblade Scoundrel has, like, better flanking, mostly because if yes. 
a creature with flanking blocks it, it still gets minus one, minus one. And yeah, not only that is it, it's bigger. It has a whole other side that gets bigger and does more stuff. Like it really just bodies the hell out of Shadow Rider, which is a bit of a surprise. Yeah, it's a funny card to see made obsolete just because nobody has thought about this card in a very long time. Even us. No, cool art on, on Shadow Rider, though. It's a shame that such a cool art's going to be. Classic Pete Venter's nonsense, yeah. The next one we're going to talk about is Burn the Accursed. Burn the Accursed is four red for an instant. It deals five damage to our creature and two damage to that creature's controller. If that creature would die this turn, exile it instead. Well, this obsolete's reduced to ashes, which was printed originally in the original Shadows over Innistrad. So, you know, the more time we spend on Innistrad, more cards get obsolete. Reduced to ashes is basically the same thing, except it's a sorcery and it doesn't deal two damage to that player's controller. Yeah, pretty nice upgrade to the deal five to a creature for five mana red card we've been getting in limited. Yeah. The next is Crawl from the Cellar. Single black mana for a sorcery. Return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target zombie you control and has flashback for three and a black. This obsolete man, another old one from Odyssey, Morgue Theft. One and a black for a sorcery that returns a creature card from your graveyard to your hand and has flashback for four and a black. So the nice thing about Crawl from the Cellar is it is cheaper on the front side and the flashback side. And if you have a zombie sitting around, it can get a plus one plus one counter. Yeah. Morgue Theft is actually strictly better on the look of the card, not only because it's got that classical border, but it has the gravestone symbol in the upper left because it cares about the graveyard and that's the best. Bring it back, please. Yes. I mean, can it really, does it really strictly obsolete crawl from the cellar then? That's a good question. Yes. Yes, it does. (laughs) Eden Alive, this one is one people picked up on the internet as well as us. The moment we saw this was spoiled, we immediately said, wow, this obsoleted a 2019-2020 magic card. That's very rare. So Eden Alive is one black for a sorcery. As it shall cost to cast a spell, sacrifice a creature or pay three and a black, and you exile target creature Planeswalker. This uh, obsolete Spark Harvest. Shocker. A War of the Spark card getting obsolete? Who would have thought? Spark Harvest is literally the same thing, except instead of exiling a creature or Planeswalker, it destroys it instead. Yeah. Eat Alive, so much better, especially in a set with Disturb and all these other things that care about your yard. Next one is Fading Hope. Fading Hope is a single blue for an instant return target creature to, to its owner's hand. If its mana value was three or less, scry one. This obsolete's Unsummoned, which was a single blue originally from Alpha, for an instant that returns target creature to its owner's hand. And I know there's been some discussion about Vapor Snag and how Vapor Snag was already better. Vapor, Vapor Snag was the same thing, except the controller of the card that's getting bounced loses a life. I would argue that Unsummon was not obsoleted by that because Unsummon has a very common use case of returning creatures to your own hand. Well, actually... Uh-oh, you're pushing someone, up the glass. Someone pointed... Yeah. I know, as someone pointed out on Reddit, Unsummon is already obsoleted. By? By this Ice Age card called Word of Undoing. Word of Undoing, same thing as Unsummon, returns a creature, except it also returns all white auras you own attached to it to their owner's hands. Interesting. So you could bounce a creature of theirs that you have already put pacifism on, and you also get back the pacifism. Yes. Or or, or Holy Strength. Yeah. You know, it's 1994. Wow. Sick. So I did not find that in my research. I was wrong. Never mind. Unsummoned was already obsolete. Yeah. Mm. Moving on. This one I'm surprised about. Howl of the Hunt, which is tuna green for an enchantment aura. It has flash and enchants a creature. Winners the battlefield of enchanted creatures of wolf or werewolf. Untap that creature. Enchanted creatures gets plus two, plus two, and has vigilance. So Howl of the Hunt 
it obsoletes a podcast favorite of ours, which is Feral Invocation. This was originally printed in Theros. Feral Invocation is two and green for an enchantment or with flash, enchants a creature, but only gets plus two, plus two. And since eight years, nine years later, they add more card uh, text to cards. How the Hunt has more text, and that makes the card just strictly better. Yeah, there's a lot of extra things here. I was really surprised to see this card, too. Feral Invocation is a card that I have way too much love for like an unnecessary amount. I probably played it at many times when I shouldn't play it in decks, but I have these fond memories when I started drafting and drafting at Born of the Gods, I would take a lot of Swordwise Centaurs. That was a 3-2 vanilla for green-green and attacking with that and having them throw like a creature in front of it and you just play your Feral Invocation that you got a 5-4. It's just great. How of the Hunt? I don't know. Could be, could be good. I guess we'll see. Could be good. Yeah. Next one is Raise the Effigy. Raise the Effigy is a single red for an instant. It says choose one, destroy target artifact, or target attacking creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. See you later, Smelt. Smelt was a single red for an instant that just said destroy target artifact originally from Magic 2013. Raise the Effigy also helps your attacking creature, so it's not a dead card ever in your hand. Yeah, pretty nice. More than a sideboard card. More than a sideboard card. Next, we're going to talk about Silverbolt. It obsoletes a card. We're going to get to that in a second. Silverbolt is one for an artifact. It has three taps, sacrifice Silverbolt. It deals three damage to target creature. If a werewolf is dealt damage this way, destroy it. So you could pay three to bolt something or just straight up murder a werewolf. This obsoletes a Thorn of Eldraine card. Again, wow. Shocker. It's Scalding Cauldron. Scalding Cauldron is exactly the same, except it doesn't have the clause about if it was a werewolf, destroy it. So just three taps, sacrifice it, deals three to a creature. Yeah. I remember Scalding Cauldron being fine and limited, but I might be wrong. Do you remember? I don't. I don't think I ever played it, but that was so that was like five years ago. I don't. Well, that was great content. Good job, David. All right. (laughs) So now this is the part of the show where we talk about cool stuff with creatures, whether it's tokens, whether it's unique things and colors, all things creatures. So we're going to start with new creature types. So yeah, let's go into new creature types. Dave, are there any new creature types? In the first Innistrad set coming out this fall, which is called Innistrad Midnight Hunt. Zero. There are no new types. No new types whatsoever. It is notable that there are six peasants in this set, more than in any other set, including Throne of Eldraine, where peasant was introduced. They only have five. Unfortunately for those peasants, they don't last long. Four of them transform into non-peasants. Well, you know, I'm glad that Wizards is very conscious about class. It shows that, you know, granted, the peasants need to become an extraordinary magical creature to overthrow their oppressors, (laughs) but they at least can do that. Once they're werewolves, class is taken out of the equation, and now they can just rampage and eat people. Well, one of them does become a knight, and one of them does become a soldier. So that might be a little upward mobility in Innistrad that we didn't know about. Unfortunately, one of them becomes a spirit, and that may not be where they want to be. Let's not dwell on such sad stuff. Are there any old creature errata? Uh, not any that I know of. So we're, we're just not getting no. a lot this set. What about notable no. creature type combinations? Do I have a great one for this one? We have our very first, ready for it? Zombie Bear. Yes. Zombie Bear, Grizzly Ghoul, which they chose to spell with two Zs instead of an S. Avoiding or creating the pun? Unclear. They should have just gone f- full force. I mean, this is wizards. They'll make us say unpronounceable names. Just give us the pun. I'm glad that we have a zombie bear. It was about time. 
I didn't see a lot of other ones other than the fact that Werewolf is tacked onto a bunch of like pretty normal creature types. So, okay. What about unique uh, things in colors? Anything here that we don't normally see in a color or that's an interesting characteristic? So they have an interesting way to show vampirism this time. Um, it's tied. It's actually just bloodthirst. So black and red has a theme where if an opponent loses a life on vampires, something happens. And that really is just bloodthirst. So bloodthirst gets a sneaky way into the set as a, as a minor mechanic that is not to be named. But it it's cool question mark yeah i like it i mean we'd seen bloodthirst on mostly vampires but a couple of other different types before bloodthirst was specifically that if an opponent was dealt damage this turn the creature would enter the battlefield with plus one plus one counters equal to the bloodthirst cost so some of these are kind of like bloodthirst but there's all of these other abilities and yeah i like it it's an interesting mechanic it forces you to try to push through damage and there are cards like we mentioned like thermo alchemist that provide you unconventional ways to make sure your opponent's lost life. Yeah. And the fact that it isn't tied to Bloodthirst specifically means they can do more with it than just grow creatures. Yeah. So there's it's actually on spells. There's triggers on creatures that do more with like, you know, there's Arrogant Outlaw or Arrogant Vampire. I can't remember the exact name where if it, if your opponent lost life for you, would, they would lose two more life and you gain two life. Um, what about tokens? Yeah. So this is worth talking about the decayed tokens. So, Decayed is an ability on a creature that says the creature can't block, and when it attacks, you sacrifice it at the end of the combat step. So there are a lot of 2-2 Decayed zombies in this set, which are really interesting because they are so fragile, and because they can't block, they're almost more like a resource. I heard them compared to energy, which I thought was a really interesting comparison. You use them to sacrifice for other abilities. As we've already mentioned, there are cards like Eaten Alive that are very cheap if you sacrifice a creature. You use them for cards that care about tapping. There's a zombie in the set where you can tap three creatures to tap a creature in opponent controls. That creature could be one, and the decayed zombies are another one. There's just a lot of different ways to use the zombies. I think it also creates this image of a zombie that is so decayed and falling apart, it can get in one attack and then just collapses into a heap. And I think that's pretty cool. They were talking about this before the set came out. Morrow specifically... Mark Rosewater, he specifically highlighted that they wanted to try something different with tokens so that they could do cool things, but not make them so oppressive. Because tokens, the almost every other token they've created, the fact that it's just an, a creature that comes into play with other creatures or is generated from other creatures gives it a lot of power, right? Like it's a free creature that can attack or block, or you can use all these resources. And they're the fact that they can't block and they only have one shot means you have to be very careful with how you use them. You can't just throw them out willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. Like it's You actually have to consider when and how you're going to use these new zombie tokens. I kind of think of it a little bit like the Amass tokens from War of the Spark. And though those could block the Amass feature that if you already had an Amass token in play, it would get bigger instead of creating new additional tokens was another interesting way to limit the effect that those would have and allow you to put that kind of token on a card without significantly increasing the cost. I think of Avon Eternal from War of the Spark, which was two and a blue for a 2-2 flyer, and when it entered the battlefield, you amassed one. So you either made the 1-1 token or put a counter on it. Super good card and limited. Similarly, in this set, you have Fallen Abomination, which is two and a blue for a 2-2 flyer, and when it enters, you get a 2-2 token with Decayed. Those are very, very good Windrakes. And the fact that the tokens aren't that powerful mean that they can still be Windrakes. They're still two and a blue for a 2-2 flyer. Yeah, it's them playing around with the liminal space of what can we add to cards 
that isn't too powerful, but is still a cool, interesting effect. Yeah. How much mana but, is a crappy token worth? As far as actually unique tokens, other than Decayed, we have different takes on tokens. Yes, there's a card, Seize the Storm, which if you remember my most drafted common from Strixhaven, Serpentine Curve, is very similar. It's four and a red. It creates a red elemental creature token with Trample, and this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard, plus the number of cards with flashback you own in exile, and it has flashback for six and a red. The differences are... This one doesn't get plus one, plus one counters when it enters. Its ability is not static, so it fluctuates if you put more instances and sorceries into your graveyard, and the token has trampled. So it's a big, beefy, super cool elemental token. We now have finally insects that aren't one ones, thanks to Rise of the Ants. Yeah, This is more like movie horror than necessarily folk or cosmic horror, but I still love it. Uh, Rise of the Ants does stuff, but it makes two, three, three green insect creature tokens. Yeah. So... Super cool. We've got super cool tree folk tokens from Ren and Seven that have reach and their power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control. Yeah. We also have Corpse Cobble. So Corpse Cobble is an instant that is blue-black, and you can sacrifice any number of creatures, and then you create a XX black and blue zombie creature token with Menace, where X is the power of the sacrifice creature. And then it has flashback for five mana. Yes. Anyway, you can say all that. Yeah, it's just <laughs> if you don't want. Nope, we're going to keep that in. That was <laughs> we strung it together. We came out in the end. It was great. Yeah, it's just a different zombie token. Yep. Like zombies. There's been some different zombies. This one has menace. You know. Yeah. Seems like a cool another use token for your crappy decayed tokens. Sacrifice a bunch of them. Yes. Make a big menace token. Stitch them all together. Yeah. Gross. But that card's from Torment. Ah. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. There's also a cool <laughs> vampire from Hungry for More. That is a red-black sorcery where you put a 3-1 vampire creature token with trample, lifelink, and haste onto the battlefield, and it has flashback for one black-red, kind of a house in the early game. That lifelink is no joke. There's also the Tarmogoyf ooze. There's an ooze that basically makes a token copy of itself. Just the ability, its power is equal to the number of card types among cards in your graveyard, and toughness is equal to that plus one. So I'm glad that... Goifs are now expanding into oozes. I'm very happy about this development. It's just copying a goif, but it's only your graveyard, so how big can it really get? Yeah. We've avoided the most controversial token, which we've talked about, which is Day and Night! So you have thoughts on the Day and Night token. I do. Uh, I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) You don't like the mechanic, you don't like the token, you're just washing your hands of the whole thing. Yeah. No, just bring back old werewolves. I'm used to it. I'm used to the tricks with it. Just let players figure it out i would like bigger clearer text on the token so you can just set one copy of it between the two players in a paper match and then flip it over more easily uh but other than that i think that the token is helpful i do appreciate that they put it in each pre-release kit i wish they had put decayed zombies in each pre-release kit because everybody on the planet was making decayed zombies at the pre-release and nobody had a token so other than that like wait what is that token is that a zombie i don't I don't know. I will say this. I think it's very odd that you can have a state that's neither day or night. Mm-hmm. So what is that? Is that twilight? Is that dawn? I don't know. But the fact that it, now it exists, there exists a phase in magic that's neither day or night just kills the philosopher in me. I believe like, it's twilight breaking but, dawn, actually, is what you're looking for. <sighs> yep. Yep. I did it. You got it, Christian. Oh. While you sit there with your head in your hands, I'm going to talk about counters. We uh, we have charge counters in this set, a card called Geist Flame Reservoir I'm not going to bother reading, but it's just old-fashioned charge counters on an artifact, man. We got this a couple times in, in Zedekar Rising, but and before that, Blast Zone and War of the Spark had them, but just very uh, adorably old-fashioned. 
Yeah, I wonder if there's stuff cards that require charge counters that you can do a charge counter EDH deck. There are some cards that care about charge counters. They are they're out there that, that add or remove charge counters. Going to the new counters, we have Ember counters, and it's on one card, Smoldering Egg, and that counts how much mana is spent to cast a spell. And then when you have seven or more Ember counters, you transform Smoldering Egg into a dragon. Yeah, the more spells you cast, the more the egg heats up and then it hatches. Very flavorful. Yeah. We have Flame counters on Embodiment of Flame, which is the backside of Flame Channeler, an uncommon human wizard. We just had our first ever flame counters, but they were only virtually on Mana Gorger Phoenix, which is exclusive to the Jumpstart Historic Horizons product on Arena. Mana Gorger Phoenix is kind of a house, but I was surprised that that was the first use of flame counters. I am too. I thought we would have got it by now. Just kind of surprising, especially since we've had phoenixes and we've had fire cards and we've had lands that burn. Yeah. Another new counter, which we're probably going to leave on the cutting room floor, but I was shocked that it had not been done before. It's ritual counters which are found on Heirloom Mirror. If you have three or more ritual counters on it, you transform. So it's another one where it's keeping track of how many times you do a thing, but that has a cool, unique, interesting name with it. Very flavorful. Yeah, super flavorful card too. You're discarding cards and performing this little ritual. And then once you've done it three times, it transforms into this demon. It's like saying Bloody Mary or Candyman in front of a mirror. Pretty sweet. Don't do that. I can't do that. Okay. Terrible. Okay. All right. I'll remember that. I'll do it for you next time we're together. Uh, Sludge Monster has... Slime counters. Sludge Monsters, three blue blue for a five five horror. And when it enters the battlefield or attacks, you put a slime counter on another creature. And non horror creatures with slime counters on them lose all abilities and have base power and toughness two two. So we've seen slime counters on Gutter Grime, which is unfortunately an enchantment. So I was hoping there would be something else with slime counters that if you played Sludge Monster, it would just become a two two by itself. But yeah, I love bringing back an ooze counter, like an ooze type counter, like a slime counter, even if it's not an ooze. Oozes don't really make sense in mono blue, but a horror? Yeah, definitely. This is one of the few body horror type flavor they reference because this whole idea, I love the flavor on this, right? The whole idea is like the sludge monster goes through and it subsimes people and turns them into part of the sludge and part of the slime. And that's terrifying. I've actually, that's type of horror movies that I don't like to watch. So it's very gross. I was at the pre-release with someone who had two sludge monsters in their deck and realized that when the sludge monster dies, the slime counters still stay on the creatures. They're just no longer tutus with no abilities. So his opponent's reaction when he played his second sludge monster, and then all of the original slime counter creatures were once again tutus, was uh, something to behold. Now I want to try this in real life. You could levy as a criticism about magic, that magic has no soul. Well, now it does. We have soul counters. It's on hostile, hostile. Oh my god. Are you just realizing this now? Yeah, so better puns on the back. Mm, I know, it's creeping in. Uh, anyway, now you can have a soul man in Magic, and I would just have a soundboard play that song whenever I cast or used or played this card. We'll feel free to set that up. The last one is Valor Counters on Intrepid Adversary, a human scout, and the Valor Counters give plus one, plus one to creatures for each Valor Counter on the card. So lots of new counters this time. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad they add the flavor to the set, right? Because if you were just trying to be really efficient and really boring, like all these could be like a counter. Put a counter on this when it has three counters on it, flip it. Yeah, there's some rule stuff, but it just it's a boring way to track it. I love that it's very flavorful and it's like, yes, we're going to pump my intrepid adversary. It gets more valorous as I put more mana in it. And that means all my creatures get more powerful because it's more valorous. Like it's, it's cool. Yeah. 
Okay, there are a few special frames for this set. There is a special alternate border treatment for all of the werewolves and warlocks. So there are the regular versions and then some with this kind of autumn dressed up border. Yeah, very cool. I I really love the look on this. Like, it really reminds me of the Throne of Eldraine special borders. And I was a big fan of those, and I'm, I'm a big fan of these. I'm a little skeptical on this one so far. We'll have to see if I really like them in person or not. Yeah. The rest of the non-warlock werewolf legendary creatures get a special black and white piece of art that looks pretty cool. So, again, we're a audio podcast. I guess you could have a video podcast that's kind of redundant. But basically with these, they just have a special black and white art. Yeah. There, it's also, they're also full art behind the text as well. And they're, yes. they're a dark border, so they have all white text. Yes. My guess is this is going to be tied to the Monster Fright Edition or whatever the, the combo draft set is, where it is based on monster movie themes. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing we're going to see reprints of these in that set because they are black and white. They could just pull that version in and have that version in the set without having to. That's the, the Innistrad double feature which will come out sometime in early 2022 and will apparently have some cards from Midnight Hunt and some cards from Crimson Vow designed to be drafted together. I'm personally just going to probably grab packs of both and draft them together and see how it goes. But, you know, to each their own. To each their own. The slow lands, which are the lands that enter the battlefield tapped unless you control two or more other lands, all have a special borderless alternate art, as do the planeswalkers in this set, as they've been doing for all planeswalkers. And then the most critical thing, Christian, is the basics, the very, very spooky basics. Thoughts? Uh, They look cool, but they all look the same. It's unfortunate. They do look very similar. I will note that I didn't realize until I opened some this weekend, there's one in every pack, that the borders, the kind of little pin-striping borders around them are a little bit glossy, and that looks really, really neat in person. I did not play in a pre-release, listeners, so... I will try to pick up some physical cards soon so I can have my own hot take on this. But I imagine that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, they look cool and um, they're, uh, they're very spooky. Yeah. If I were to do a monocolored EDH deck, I would put them in these because snow covered is boring hmm. and these just look striking and cool. So One of my favorite cubes has always been Ryan Overturf's Spooky Cube. And if I ever decide to make a spooky cube of my own, I would definitely use these as the lands. Absolutely. So let's talk about one of our favorite segments, the secret reach card. Mm-hmm. Many sets feature creatures that for some reason nobody notices have reach and will only attack their flyers right into them. Recent examples include AFR's Dryder, Strixhaven's Master Symmetrist, and Kaldheim's Jaspera Sentinel. They had a lot of flying folks. It's not cool. But really, what do we think it'll be this time around? What do you think, Dave? Well, this is a little trickier because a lot of times we pick a black or red card because they don't normally have reach. But in this set, the only cards with reach are green. I'm going to go with a tricky one. I'm going to go with the token created by Ren and Sevens minus three. I know I won't see it a lot in limited, but there is no way I'm going to remember that this giant token they've created has reach when I try to desperately kill their planeswalker. I agree with that. I think I, that would be my choice if it wasn't, no pun intended, rare to see. Like you're not going to see in every limited game. My choice is Bounding Wolf because this is a common so Bounty Wolf is two and a green for a 3-2 wolf. It has flash and reach. I just don't associate a wolf or a dog with reach, and so that's going to flummox me every time. I mean, it's not really hidden. It's just not the flavor I associate with wolves. At the same time, the art is hilarious. 
This wolf is just launching itself into the air to eat a bat. And the flavor text is, with our usual prey scared off by werewolves, the wolves of the Olvenwald adopted inventive new hunting techniques. So, you know, it's all there, but yeah, they're going to flash it in and attack you with it. And then later you're going to like attack your 3-2 flyer into it. Well, let's talk about the best tongue twister in the set, inspired by our favorite magic tongue twister, Click Slither and Quick Sliver. Christian, do you have a pick for best tongue twister in the set? I'm going to pull back the curtain a bit. We always talk about tongue twisters whenever we do this set because we both take time and mangle our mouths with this. I didn't get to go through the whole set, but we did talk about one. I think it's this one, though. I've been thinking about this for the whole episode. I think it's Storm Charged Slasher. And if you say that fast, you can't say it. <laughs> yeah, this is the back of Reckless Stormseeker, which is a super, super great rare in the set. Storm Charge Slasher is very difficult to say even one time. And this is a set with a lot of good options, but I think it's just got to be that. We're, we're agreed. Yeah. If you want to say like it's Suspicious Stowaway, that's another great one. But really, Storm Charge Slasher takes the cake. And Yeah, I also don't like what my mouth does when I try to say Organ Hoarder a bunch of times. Just like... Nope. All right. Well, moving on. Now that we've talked enough about Storm Charge Slasher, I'm just like so moving my mouth so wide to say that. We Ugh. have fully adopted a suggestion from our listener, Camilla, who said it might be fun to hear something like a common and uncommon and a rare that you think are well designed, exemplify the set, or just excite you one way or another. And my common is Stolen Vitality. This is one in red for an instant. It says target creature gets plus three, plus one until end of turn. If it's your turn, that creature gains trample until end of turn. Otherwise, it gains first strike until end of turn. I love this as a modal combat trick where on offense, you're bashing through for trample damage. And on defense, you're just eating whatever creature they cast. Really cool way to do it, even if I hate this art very much. Art is horrifying, but stolen vitality is, it's just a fantastic combat trick. It's also one of those things where people are going to forget that it has the other mode and they're going to get burned by it. Christian, what about yours? Yeah. So mine is organ hoarder. Um, again, I've not played these cards yet. So this is all just theoretical love for these cards. Um, I theoretically love it because it reads like Moldrifter and I love Moldrifter. So I want to draft a lot of organ hoarders. Yeah. This card's incredible. It's three and a blue for a three, two zombie at common. And when it enters the battlefield, you look at the top three cards of your library, put one into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. If this was just three and a blue, three, two draw card, that'd be great. But it gives you card selection and dumps two cards into your graveyard out of control. It's actually a common I could see playing in EDH, Mm -hmm. which is a very high bar to clear. But it it is very good. This does a lot of really cool things. Yeah, super sweet. What about an uncommon for you? Yes, so I'm going to choose Faithful Mending. So Faithful Mending is white and a blue for an instant. You gain two life, draw two cards, then discard two cards, and it has flashback of one white and blue. I just really like it because it reminds me of Faithless Looting and Faithless Salvaging. Uh, these are Faithless Salvaging is printed in Modern Horizons 2. It's a callback to Faithless Looting, where it's the rummage version of Faithless Looting with, with Rebound. And then um, Faithless Looting, in case you're unaware, one red for a sorcery, draw two, discard two, has flashback two and a red. Uh, I just love those cards, and Faithful Mending is in the same vein, except it's a totally different, two different colors now. I mean, it's an express reference. I mean, even the flavor text, what has been looted can be restored. The church lives on within us. It's the, the cleaning up the church after the Faithless Looting happened. That's awesome. So this card, given that we no longer have Faithless Looting available in Modern, does this make its way into like, Arc- like Arclight Phoenix decks, where you have... 
now the faithless looting ability you also gained a little life and then maybe you also play like path or prismatic ending or something else and you play like a jeskai phoenix deck you could do it that way um the one i want to try out is uh esper reanimator mm. so there's reanimator decks floating around due to modern horizons 2 because they printed persist which literally just persists a creature from your graveyard and unmark grave which is a non-legendary version of in two in the sense that it only puts non-legendary cards into your graveyard um and yeah it's it works really well in those decks because you said there's prismatic ending so you can have access to three colors anyway you want to be looting stuff into your graveyard and there's just good blue and white cards that go well with the whole shebang the fact that this is also instant speed instead of a sorcery like faithless looting which was already very powerful is a little bit bonkers to me yeah it's two mana it's not really really want to be with your looting effects but the fact that it gains life is a huge help too yeah you're not totally behind if you take your second turn. And granted, you're also holding up mana. As you say, you can play as an instance. So you don't have to do on your main phase. You can hold it up for other things. But like the fact that you can restore some of that tempo. So what about you? What's your uncommon? So I really like Morbid Opportunists. This is two and a black for one, three human rogue. Whenever one or more other creatures die, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. There are a lot of levers that you can push and pull in Magic. For this card, they said one or more other creatures... If this dies, you don't draw a card, but they neglected non-token, so your tokens can still die. Great use for a decayed token can be to attack, and then it dies, and then you just get to draw a card. And then this ability triggers only once each turn. They had a lot of options here. It could have been on your turn, but instead they just chose to limit it to one per turn. I think this card in limited is going to be initially underrated. And I say this because I saw it eighth pick in a draft, and that was a huge mistake. It's extremely, extremely powerful. Don't pass it unless I'm in your pod. Thank you. Excuse me, eighth pick? So it wheeled? No. It was the last card before the wheel. Oh, it was the last card. Okay. But there's no way other people Still. shouldn't have been playing black, given the powerful black removal spells for the set unlimited. Huge mistake. I've heard this past weekend that Black and blue are just miles ahead of the other colors that I'm really hoping these drafts don't turn into people fighting over black and blue cards and then good luck putting together a decent deck that fights it. But I mean, black has I mean, really very, very powerful removal spells at common. So I think people will definitely be fighting over black. But given that blue also creates all of these 2-2 decayed zombies and black can take advantage of them, that seems like that's the front runner for best deck in the format. I'm also a little skeptical that Coven is going to come together in a meaningful way. And also, as we talked about with my common choice, Organ Grinder, or Organ Hoarder, I'm sorry, Organ Grinder is another card. Organ Hoarder is probably one of the best commons in the entire set, which says a lot about this set. But, yeah. you know, doesn't hurt. So the rare, or mythic, that I have chosen is a rare. It is Tovalar Dire Overlord, who you mentioned in the flavor section. One red-green for a 3-3 Legendary Human Werewolf. It has Daybound. This is the Werewolf Commander that people have probably been waiting for. It says, whenever a wolf or werewolf you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So it is by itself Ophidian. And then that is true for all your other werewolves, wolves and werewolves. And note that it doesn't say one or more wolf or werewolves, so it's just all of them. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more wolves and or werewolves, it becomes night, and then you transform any number of human werewolves you control. So it's also playing with day and night. 
which is something that was definitely needed in this set. And the backside is Tobalar the Midnight Scourge, legendary creature werewolf. It's a 4-4. Whenever a wolf or werewolf you control deals combat damage to a player, again, draw a card. And then it has this great reference to Kessig Wolf Run, a land from the original Innistrad block. Target wolf or werewolf you control gets plus X plus O and gains trample until end of turn for X red green. So it's just like nostalgia plus playing well with the things that werewolves want to do plus drawing you cards which red and green generally don't do well in a combination and it makes it night so your werewolves get huge i love everything about it especially the picture of him on the back because he has absurdly tiny legs for a scary werewolf yeah very odd you think he would not skip leg day but he (laughs) werewolf version of tovalar the midnight scourge is uh you know needs help reaching the stuff on top of the fridge the one thing, the one little detail I really love about it, because we talked about day and night and how it should be eroded. I do like the fact that they recognized that old werewolves don't work with day and night bound, mm-hmm. and they allow you to also transform your old werewolves from previous Innistrad yes, sets because they were human werewolves, and so now they will transform yes. to the night side. Yes, love that little detail. It's a fantastic legend. Like, really, I hope I see a lot more werewolf EDH decks because of it. Absolutely. My my choice for my favorite rare slash mythic is also rare. It's Augur of Autumn. It's one green green for a human druid. It's two three. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. If they, they took out at, that actually bugs me a little bit now. Like the text is, you may look at the top card of your library anytime. Hmm. Yeah, weird. Anyway, weird. I'm going to move on. That's just kind of bugging me a little. You may play lands from the top of your library. Coven, as long as you control three or more creatures with different powers, you may cast creature spells from the top of your library. So it's like a mixture of uh, Vizier the Menagerie and Course of Crufix, except it just enables you to do anything off the top instead of like gaining life or doing cool things with Vizier. It's just the the cool chocolate and vanilla mishmash of both. And I'm a big fan. Yeah, seems very cool. Certainly very commander playable. Love having this effect I should say these effects just around to see what you can do with them. And yeah, one of those cards that I saw right away and it's like, people will want this card. It is very, it is very good. It combines the things that people want to do. Absolutely. I want to add something to our listener suggestion area here. You had asked on Twitter if there was anything people wanted to hear about Innistrad and our listener, Steven said uh, he would like to hear about what balance we want from Innistrad regarding the straight horror elements like Lost in the Woods, Fear of the Dark, and Danger All Around versus the camp horror elements like, he says, oblique references to movies, puns and winks, and gore and horror approaching comedy. For me, I really like the straight horror elements. I like the idea that there's something around every corner. I think a lot of the art in these sets really gets at that. I think it's less effective when you see a card where the threat is pictured on the card. There's a fisherman and there's a giant fish behind him that's about to eat him. Yeah, that's that's scary for that fisherman, but it's not scary for us. I like the, you know, the little eyes in the woods or the things that are kind of worked into the background of a lot of cards that are less that camp horror. At the same time, I like when it's really forward. So we talked earlier about Flesh Taker briefly. This is a white-black 2-2 human assassin. And it has some sacrifice synergies, but the art on Flesh Taker, we talked extensively about in our guest appearance on I Love You Mana last week. It's a human wearing a cow's head 
holding a butcher's cleaver standing on the edge of a cornfield at what looks like either dawn or dusk. And it's just this kind of terrible folk horror. You know, we mentioned the Wicker Man earlier. That's what it makes me think of. That's more straight horror than this kind of campy, like, oh, look at the person who is so, he's stitching zombies and he's so out of his mind. He's got this crazy Joker smile. No, I, I think what I think I get what you're saying. I don't mind the oblique references to movies because there are some very terrifying movies that they have previously referenced. I'm more err on the side of the creepiness necess- than necessarily the mad scientist kind of view of it. Like I never liked Jason Garolf, for example, because they seem to be the jokesters. Like it, it just never struck me as scary. It was just like two weirdo teens that really wanted to like stitch people together, and I never. I never really like them, but I feel like they capture the rest of it very well, especially if I'm thinking as the sets have progressed. I think the reason I really like them returning to Innistrad, and I, I want to see if you agree with this, is it's like the more most straightforward dark plane that they go back to that you don't really see anymore. Early Magic had the dark, but even the core sets and even in the other sets they create, there were still some really dark and creepy places that helped really flesh out the set. And you just don't get that as much anymore. That's just my opinion. But what do you think? Do you Are you on that kind of same wavelength? I think so. I really liked the last Innistrad block, the Shadows and Eldritch Moon block, because there was so much of that foreboding horror. There was clearly, in Shadows over Innistrad, before you meet Emrakul and figure out what's happening, there's something was wrong. And you couldn't figure out what it was, but everything was a little bit off. And you got some of that body horror, right? I think of the card Magnifying Glass, where there's you know, someone's looking at an eye that is growing out of someone's shoulder. And you're like, okay, but there's no explanation for this. Why is this happening? The constant dread and the foreboding is what really speaks to me about these sets more so than, oh, there's a very bloody vampire. I think as an example of this, the card Victim of Night from the original Innistrad, Black Black for an instant, it destroys target non-vampire, non-werewolf, non-zombie creature. The art is this human who has the symbol of Avacyn on his sword He's working for the church. He's out there trying to defend the humanity, but he has been exploded from the inside. He's been run through by something. There's viscera on the wall behind him. He's bleeding out on the ground. And you don't see anyone else in the frame, but you do see two shadows. It's just this really spooky, terrifying art. And then the flavor text is Olivia Voldar and the vampire saying, do not touch a drop, not yet. I want to watch the so-called Slayer's last crisis of faith. And it's like, that's terrifying. It gives you an image of, wow, these vampires are horrible monsters that did this like horrible thing that we're seeing, but you don't see them doing it. And that's that's what I'm hearing. I think they've done both a good and not as good job. I don't say bad job, but not as good job with the darkness of all this. Like when it veered, because like they've had very dark oblique movie references. I think a Delver of Secrets and that whole chain. Yeah with aberrant researcher and all that, terrifying. Absolutely 100% terrifying. You also have things like Ludovic's monster and the the egg it originally came from. That's not scary. I'm sorry. I opened that as a pre-release rare. Like, that's just more weird than it is creepy or horrible. And I, I think it just really just depends on the color. It depends on the card. And it's it's good that it's not consistent where all of the movie references are campy mm-hmm. versus all of the straight horror stuff is just horror and scary. Like it does thread that line 
card by card and it it makes it very effective i wish they would kind of i don't again i don't like just Garolf, but like i think a lot of this other stuff like a little vildarin vildarin can kind of be over the top but other than that like i feel like they do more a better job than not with throughout all these sets sure well so i think steven the answer is we are firmly on the side of yeah do your movie references and do your other things but just make it like spooky af that's what we're after yes Creep us out. Yeah, I want to be creeped out. All right, well, before we go, Christian, why is there a magic set coming out two months from the day we are recording this? The preview show for the current set. Do you want the real answer or the joke answer? Uh, Which one involves you making cash register sounds? The joke. Okay. (laughs) And the real answer. (laughs) I don't, honestly, I don't know why they chose to do this. I think it's very odd that they're re- they are releasing another full set right before the holidays. It's not a draft set. It's not like a special set. It's just literally a whole new blammo, here's 300 cards and standard set. I don't know what they're trying to accomplish with this. Yeah, other than making a bunch of money. And I'm all for doing two sets that play well together, but release them at the normal cadence or make them much smaller or you know release them as one giant set product maybe there's there are other ways to do this so i'm i'm skeptical it's a lot to keep up with and i hope this is not a test for hey maybe we want to do five sets a year because that's just not something that no nobody's clamoring for more products in the basic standard sets yeah i mean there's a running joke that it's always spoiler season right and we're distressingly close to that yeah where is the joke at this really point? happened uh, the other thing that I'm disappointed by is I thought when this was initially announced a year, two years ago, I can't remember exactly when I saw this and they put them both together on the timeline. I thought we were going to get two halves of a full set Mm -hmm. staggered and released at different times. And I thought that was, I thought that'd been really interesting, right? It's a different way from them to release sets. You have the full set. You won't get the full set until six weeks later, but you could play around with, half the set beforehand. And so you're just doing a small draft experience that you can then mash together to do one big one. I I really thought that was the direction they're going. And I was just really disappointed to hear. No, it's just two large sets for some reason. And it might be for story reasons. I don't know, but again, it just feels like a big crash grab and yeah, I get it. They want to sell stuff during the holidays, but it has, it's a bad taste. There's a bad taste in my mouth. Okay. That's fair. I'm on board with that. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, we want to thank all of you for joining us today to talk about this Innistrad set, Midnight Hunt. You can find us on Twitter at our handle, at MemoryJarMTG. We would love your feedback. As we made clear here, we are taking our listeners' suggestions. We want to know what cards you want to remember, what you want to talk about, what themes you're interested in. Let us know. We'll talk about it on the show, probably. Yeah, well, more than probably, in my opinion. But, you know, we'll figure it out. Again, special thanks to Chris Yates for the logo. We greatly appreciate it. You can find Chris on Twitter at at CMY company, that's company with a K. Until next time, be very careful, don't go into the woods alone, and whatever you do, don't turn into a werewolf. Have a fantastic time playing the new set of magic.